0: Now let's begin. Okay, so on Tuesday, we uh, looked at, um, actually the Pasuk and the Chumash, Torah says that Yom Kippur is on the 10th day of the month, says it several times, and then we have the Pasuk, which is very interesting, Petisha lechodesh Ba'erev. Which is a strange, I mean, it's discussed. The issue that was raised here is that in the Torah, when does the day start? It's a very good question. Because there's evidence on all sides. There's some some evidence that it starts at night, that the day starts at night. And then there is evidence, I think, much stronger evidence, that in the Torah, maybe in the Bible in general, but the Torah certainly, that the day starts in the morning. It's the Rashbam, essentially. It was night, and it was morning, one day. Morning came, begin the day. And actually, that's what the Torah seems to say. That Yom Kippur, for whatever reason, even though the service of the priests is in the daytime, that's clear, on the 10th, but the fasting and the abstention from work is on the ninth day at night the night of course we call it the tenth day we, study, we, we all study on Kippur Your Jewish day starts at night as for many years probably a couple thousand at least but in the Chumash it doesn't sound that way in the Chumash it sounds and in many other proofs as well but in the Chumash it sounds like as the Trashvam suggests that the night time is part of the ninth day not part of the tenth day the truth is so, so, so what, the, what the idea behind that would be it's interesting the idea behind that would be that even though the service of the priest is on the tenth day tenth daytime, and that service which we read on Yom Kippur in the morning is atoning for all our sins and the two goats one is born the holy of holies the other is brought sorry Sazer was sent out that's all in the daytime. But the Chumash says that's all true, but the fasting and the prohibition to work is at night. So we are proceeding. We are proceeding our our tara. We're proceeding the purification service. Purification in the Chumash is, two, is twofold. In the parasha of Achrimot, primarily it begins with purifying the temple itself. The temple has become defiled through our sins, and then secondarily there's a purification of the people where the sins are cast out one might even say that when you clean you take out the dirt so that you clean something and there's the dirt so what do you do with the dirt? so the Chumash says you take the dirt which is the sins and you send it away sorry, send it out to the desert so what I pointed out was that the, we at least Ashkenazim begin Yom Kippur the Sri Chod service of Yom Kippur Nights, we are beginning with after Ma'ariv of course say Slichos. as I mentioned on Tuesday most people don't even know you say Slichos after Ma'ariv but it doesn't matter that's what the service is on Yom Kippur and the Ashkenazim introduced the Slichos service with a poem called Yahweh Tachlunenu Yara Tachlunenu Me'erev Yavu Shavateinu Neinu Adarev and that's essentially Yara V'yavu we construct the Yara because the Slichos service on Yom Kippur Outside of Musaf, we wouldn't say Yahvyabo, it always follows yalaviyavo V'Yavo And the reason for that is not just that linguistically it makes sense, because yalaviyavo V'Yavo ends with the words Kikyomel Khan Vrachumata. It ends with Khan Vrachum, which are two of the two primary attributes of the God's mercy. Shema Shem Kerachum Vakhanum. But apart from that, because yalaviyavo is basically the prayer for every for every holiday. It, it captures the essence of the holiday. Every holiday, all of them the only holy day that's not Jewish Shabbos but all the other ones have atonement as a critical element some more some less Sikoron in the words of the liturgy so we, from that we move to Slichot. so on. at night time there is no repetition of the Shema so we are constructing Yahu V'Yavu but the point is the piyut that the Ashkenazim say Yahu Erev that our prayer should ascend from even from night dreary night Vyavo Shavoteinu and our cry should it go in the morning and they should go up at night should be accepted at night so that is what we're saying there is that even though from the morning till the night is the term the Torah uses for for judging people stood before Moses from the morning until the night the morning is the time of judgment Yom Kippur is the day of judgment someone said on Tuesday that's not true Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment mm-hmm. to which the answer is it is true actually it's very true Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment and so is Yom Kippur Yom Kippur is the day Yom Adin also except the din of Yom Kippur is different because the throne of God on Yom Kippur is Melch Rachabin. the throne is the throne of mercy but the judge is still judging that's very important that's clear in the liturgy in any event but we are pre- we're preceding the judgment with, with, the, with the slichot. The judgment is the Ad Erev. But the slichot are Erev And my point is, in beginning today, is that it actually picks up on something which is very true in the Chumash. The atonement ritual is in the morning. But the abstention from work and the Inui, which understood rabbinically, isn't so much afflicting oneself, even though the word Inui does mean to afflict oneself in the Bible but understood rabbinically it's abstention from self-denial and that begins beforehand so that we the people not in the temple the people outside the temple are already connecting themselves preparing themselves for the sacrificial service by already engaging and already accepting Yom Kippur even though it's only the ninth day in the Torah it's the ninth day at night we are preceding the service of the high priest with our own personal so what's interesting of course the rabbinic tradition at least the rabbis of the Talmud who may have understood this probably did but since the Jewish day starts at night whenever that began they were very troubled by the verse to ninth day at night in the ninth day at night the so ninth day at night is the tenth day in our calendar so why does the Chumash say that question is asked by the Talmud but v'tishah Petisha it says to the Gemara well you fast on the ninth day you fasted on the tenth day Ella the Gemara says whoever eats and drinks on the ninth day it's as if that person fasted on the tenth day so already you see the Gemara is already struggling with this question how come the Torah which itself calls the day of Yom Kippur b'asad on the tenth day how come in this verse it says the ninth day at night and what's interesting what emerges from this is that the ninth day, which is Arab Yom Kippur, is different from other Erebs that we have in our calendar. Ninth day, in some form or another, takes on, even in terms of our practice, contemporary Jewish practice, takes on, it's more than just a preparation for Yom Kippur, there's something about the ninth day itself, which is very special. And this manifests itself in a couple of different practices that we have, one of which, of course, is the fact that the meal that we eat before Yom Kippur is a very special meal and the practice, the common practice that we pray before the meal. In other words, we actually... Mincha is not like all the other holidays. If you go to a synagogue, where well, they have Mincha. So they pray Mincha first and then afterwards they pray baruch. That's the common practice. Yom Kippur is different. N- nobody does that, but I know. The common practice is to pray Mincha in the afternoon early, before the meal. Now, exactly why we do this is very interesting. There's a very well-known Rambam, and this is the Rambam works. But what's interesting about Mincha before the meal is, it's not just that we daven Mincha before the meal, but that we also say Vidui before the meal. We are confessing on the ninth. It's not. It's not, it's not Yom Kippur, and as I mentioned on Tuesday. Not only do we say confession before the meal on the ninth day. But there's actually another interesting practice which is observed by many Jews. Uh, I'm talking about Jews who observe Yom Kippur. Many of them have an additional practice which is to say vidui just before Yom Kippur begins. that was just before Kol Nidre. Before the Kol Nidre service that we'll get to in a minute there's a very common practice to, to say an additional vidui, And there are many in that were written for this for this purpose, one of them, which is very beautiful, was written by the Ibn Ezra. Starts with ha Hashem Teshukati. Sabato has in his one of his books. Sabato the Rosh Hashiva, who writes the, the novelist from Beradumim, it's terrific. He has in one of his books a lengthy discussion of the end of the piyut of the Ibn Ezra, which is a glorious piyut, which is recited by many Sephardi congregations. Um, just before Yom Kippur starts. Actually B.J. says that Piyut. Actually Bj Battle. It's a very special Piyut. That's the Piyut of the Ibn Ezra. Now the there's many other piyutim that were written specifically for the entrance into Yom Kippur. But it's still the ninth day. The same Vidui on the ninth day, which is very interesting. And one of them is which is recited, if you read it carefully it's that we it's not written for, for women to say, but it's a written prayer for men, a vidui. It's called Tzvilo Zaka. How many people are familiar here with Tzvilo Zaka? Tzvilo Zaka is very interesting. Now, here's, the, here's, the, here's the core idea of Tzvilo Zaka. And it focuses a lot on sexual cries, but the point is Tzvilo Zaka is very simple Tzvilo Tzvilo Zaka says the following During the course of the past year, I did many things wrong. Every time I did something wrong, I created evil angels, these evil angels describes in a way the evil angels that, we, that I created. The sinner creates these evil angels and, and asked God for, I didn't mean to do this. Most of it was done. To <laughs> It was under the pressure of the moment. So we're begging forgiveness from God. Somebody once said to me, I sort of like the prayer actually, someone said to me, evil angels, you don't believe in that, do you? <laughs> no. I said, of course I do. 100%. So what is the idea of the evil angels? It's a very simple idea. They're very important. And that the point is the following. We do many things wrong in this world. And then with Yom Kippur we say we're sorry for it. Which is very important. But here, here's something that's not going to change. Whatever you did, you did. And not, when you did it, it exists. And now it doesn't exist. It has consequences at the moment... It has consequences in the future, has consequences long after I'm dead, and buried. That's why in Yom Kippur, by the way, we say Yiskar. Yiskar actually, the idea of Yiskar is a prayer for the atonement of the dead. It's not true of the other holidays, but but the Yiskar on Yom Kippur, the source of it, Kapeili Amcha atone the atone for the people that you have redeemed, says the Medrash. Kapeili Amcha, those who are alive atoned for the, those who have redeemed those who have left us why do the people who have died require atonement and the answer is very simple because what they did still lives you can do a lot of damage in your life and it continues afterwards it's not just when you're alive it's long after you're gone and that's the evil angels that's the point of Tzvilo Zaka I'm very sorry God says you're sorry that's great now what do I do with the 50,000 angels that are sitting in the next room because, those, because you created that you can't change that no matter what you say that's the miracle of Yom Kippur actually that's the grace of repentance that you can't actually change the past that that's, that, that. was probably Jonah's complaint what do you mean forgiving them but, but look what they do look what they will do but look what they've done so that's us up and anyway the point is that we are the ninth of the month has a special character the error of Yom Kippur is not just a normal now, as I mentioned on Tuesday the idea of adding from the Holy, adding, adding to the holy, you could be Mosif, You can start Shabbos early. So that, according to most many authorities, that's the rabbinic idea of start. Except for one day, one day you can actually add to the day. And that's that's Yom Kippur. the, the concept of adding onto the holy and, and enlarging the holy in terms of time. The source of that is Yom Kippur. Petisha Bachodesh Yom Kippur is the tenth day. But the Torah says the ninth day. So what does that mean? The Answer is no. You can actually make the turn the ninth day into into the tenth day. You can add on to this. So I was in this in this uh, spirit. I wanted to begin by discussing a, a widespread custom, one of the most widespread customs that we have, which is to recite Kol Nidre before Yom Kippur. Kol Nidre is recited before Yom Kippur begins. It's not on Yom Kippur. Actually, it, not only is that on Yom Kippur, it's actually very problematic to say it on Yom Kippur, because Kol What is in fact Kol what, what are we saying in Kol what, what is it? Because we get to understanding it. It's but what is Kol It's a legal transaction. You're taking away. It's not transaction. It's a legal. What are you doing when you say Kol In theory, you are absolved. You're doing what? So here, there's a huge dispute. There's a dispute. The, the, the standard master that you have is a mishmash and makes no sense I'll just tell you straight out the, 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 that, it, it makes no sense the point is I'll, I'll explain it. there's a dispute about what kol nidre is the, the, the basic idea of kol nidre seems to be and the simple reading of kol nidre is that it, is, it comes under the general category of what we call hatarat nadarim the annulment of vows if someone takes a vow or something has the status of a vow and then realizes afterwards that that was a mistake it was an obligation I shouldn't have taken on myself it's too difficult to keep or whatever bad consequences so the rule is you can go to the court and you can tell them I took a vow now I mitkarate I regret it if I had known the consequence I never would have done it and the court will say to you we annul the vow and that's a custom actually that is done usually before Rosh Hashanah there is a custom before Rosh Hashanah for individual people to convene a little court three three people <coughs> and to, an, to say to state what the vow was or talk more generally and the court has a formula mutalach 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 etc. that's how to rat and that's found in the Gemara actually the Gemara says before Rosh Hashanah somebody who has vows and wants to get rid of those vows should get up before the court and say that the vows that I have taken etc. So that's the plain reading of Kol Nidre. One of the commentaries famous medieval commentaries for whatever reason he had his reasons did not understand Kol Nidre in that way. Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam understood Kol Nidre not to be referring to the vows that I took last year. Rabbeinu Tam understood Kol Nidre to be referring to the vows that I will take next year it's called the moda. modah means I hereby declare that whatever I do in the future under the compulsion of the moment or whatever is null and void I'm stating that whatever I do in the future I hereby nullify any act that I take in the future that is Rabbein Tam's view it's not about the past according to Rabbein Tam Kol Nidre is a statement about the future it's a moda. what's interesting is if you look in the standard Masr, the standard prayer book, it's very strange. We say, Kol Nidre, Dasarna, Indarna, means I passed. All those that I took should be null and void. And then the Chazin continues, Me Yom Kippurim Zeh, Ad Yom Kippurim Abba Vatova, Which From this Yom Kippur till next Yom Kippur. But you use the past tense for the vows. So the Kol Nidre that we have, of course, is a big mishmash. And it's a mix-up of two different opinions one opinion is that Kolnidre is a nullification of past vows which is a simple reading of it I think and Rabbeinu Tom came in with his uh, novel interpretation that it's a nullification it's a statement made in order to nullify future vows so that gets you off the hook right well they both get you off the hook because the previous vows still exist so you you want to nullify those vows um you know, of course right, it, it gets you up to say, it's saying that I want to say now when I have my mom when I'm thinking clearly that sometimes I jump and make all kinds of commitments that those vows that I take we're talking specifically about vows Konidri has its many limits doesn't mean if you have a promise you somebody owe somebody money you can say Konidri and get out of it it doesn't mean that but, it, but in terms of the vows in any event it's either which is a simple reading of it or it is a moda'a. Those are the two options for Kol Yeah? Isn't it for the conversos or anybody who was forcefully made to take... Over? I, will, I will I will. deal with that. The answer to your question is no. That's not true. That's, 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 some people say that. It includes those people. But there is no way that... That's, the power of Kol has nothing to do with conversos or anything like that. Murano's nothing. It's nothing to do with that. That's that, to me a very... Common, it's one of these historical historical interpretations which has a grain of truth to it. That's certainly not not the not the power of or the source of Nidri. I mean the, that situation is emblematic of what of, of something, but I don't believe it has anything to do with that. I'll get I'll get to what I what I believe it is in a minute. Yeah. Excellent question. That was the next thing I was going to say. What is the point of Konidre altogether? First of all, it's a very strange Hatarat Nadarim. In other words, Konidre essentially seems to be a ceremonial act. It has no real binding status. It is an interesting kind of Hatarat Nadarim because it's not a... Hatarat usually is an individual person who goes to the court. Over here, this Chazen is talking for the entire community. or Konidre seems to be a communal Hatarat Nadarim and what's also very peculiar is that the chazin who on one hand is representing the people is often one of the three people standing there to form the court so the chazin is simultaneously functioning in two capacities one is as the one who's pleading with the court to annul the the vows or the or whatever but at the very same time is also participating with this court that's why there's three because there's a court Which is, you're beginning Yom Kippur by convening a court. Let's start with that. What is this idea of beginning Yom Kippur with the court? And why dafka Hatarat Nedarim? So I wanted to begin today's little session with Koned and then to move beyond that to discuss Yom Kippur more generally. But here's the first point about Hatarat Nedarim. There is a Mishnah in Mesechet Chagiga which makes the following statement. Nedarim Porchin Baavir the Mishnah says that the idea of is floating in the air and has no basis. I would add to what the Mishnah says, not only does it have no basis, no basis means there's no source for it. It's actually much more than no basis. It, can't, it contradicts the Bible. In the Bible it is clear that if you take an oath or a vow, you have to keep it. There's no real way out of it. And... People that take vows and oaths or whatever have to fulfill it. They intend to fulfill it. There is one situation in the Bible where someone took an oath and it was prevented from fulfilling it by the people. One such situation. Someone took an oath and was was going to do it. But the people said to this guy, Are you out of your mind or something? This makes no sense. How could you possibly do such a thing? What story is that? Yiftach. No, Yiftach kills his daughter. No, no, Yiftach does it. What do you mean, Yiftach? Of course he does. Of course Yiftach does. A simple reading of the text is that Yiftach kills his daughter. Go back to the text and read it. You would like to think otherwise. No, the plain reading is Yiftach does what he said he's going to do. After she's mourned for a certain amount of time. Now there's one such story, which is explicit. Which is what is the story? no there's no oath no no there's no oath over there he didn't swear to do it it's one story actually the story appears in the liturgy the verse appears a few people here say it but, but the, they, we have it in our liturgy for those people who on Saturday night recite a set of verses called if anybody here does such a thing there's a custom of the Ashkodashim to recite a lot of verses from the Bible after Shabbat is over so one of the verses is the following King Saul took an oath that whoever eats on the day of battle will be accounted a sinner and implicitly put to death. His son Jonathan did not realize this because Jonathan was fighting a battle by himself and he goes into the forest of honey and he dips his staff into the honey and he tastes of the honey. Someone says, how could you do such a thing? Don't you know your father told nobody, nobody's allowed to eat today? It's a fast day? So Jonathan said, my, my father has betrayed his people. It's dirty... The, he's a fool he says if he would be fasting in a time of why would you fast when you're fighting a war if we hadn't if people would eat we'd have a much greater victory against the Philistines anyway at the end of the story Saul something goes wrong and Saul casts a lot somebody has sinned and the lot falls on Jonathan so he says to Jonathan what have you done he said I tasted a little bit of honey kill me so the people so Saul says yes Jonathan must die and the people said should Jonathan die you brought about the because the, the, Jonathan brought about the victory and the people redeemed Jonathan and he didn't die now that's actually a very interesting situation because what the people are saying to Saul is yes you took an oath yes under the strict letter of the law he should die but if you reflect upon it it doesn't make the slightest bit of sense because the whole point of the war was to bring victory and the one person responsible for the victory is the one person you're going to kill that makes no sense and they prevented Saul from doing it he was going to kill him from there you see two interesting things one is that when you take an oath you have, to, you have no choice that's what Saul says he must die I took an oath because the oath is the imposition of God's name so there's no way around it but the people who seem to have more seichel than the king say one second this doesn't make sense on the contrary killing him is a greater desecration of God's name you're concerned about God's name but killing the person who brings about victory right God forbid, they say, God forbid he should die. God forbid. And the people redeem Jonathan, he doesn't die. That verse is recited by many on Saturday night, one of the many verses. In short, in short, I'll take it In short, the idea of hatarat Darim contradicts the plain reading of scripture. That's very important. What do you want to say? But when you take an oath, you obligate yourself. You, you do. Right. So that that's it's correct. So that, there are different kinds of oaths. You have situations in the Bible typically it's obligating yourself but you do have situations in the Bible where in a person in a position of authority has the right to impose an oath upon others there's several such examples in the book of Genesis Sefer Breshit. one is Abraham imposing the oath upon his servants not to find a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites Another there is Joseph the end of Sefer Breshit. Yosef Joseph, Yosef Yosef puts a puts a oath in places an oath upon his brothers that they should take his Joseph's bones after he dies and bury him together with the brothers in the land of Canaan. We have such situations where kings, where people in authority, etc., uh, have the right, apparently, in the Bible to impose an oath. In any event, the point about Kol Nidre is that Kol Nidre, in general, how we start Yom Kippur. We start Yom Kippur by engaging ceremonially, it's always ceremonial, but ceremonially We engage in this thing called hatarat and the court, which which is convened after hearing what the chazan says, the court says We have forgiven the congregation of Israel for all of them have sinned bishkaga. All have sinned uh, 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 without without malice, uh, without knowledge. uh, That's v'nislah. So, what is actually going on over here? What what is happening over here? so this is something about Yom Kippur that's very interesting it? this is something about Yom Kippur here's how we're starting Yom Kippur first we have Rosh Hashanah then we have Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah and I've said this many times Rosh Hashanah essentially is not about forgiveness because the prayers don't there's nothing about forgiveness in the prayers the core prayers of Rosh Hashanah are about God's kingship or God's judgment or God's revelation there's no confessions on Rosh Hashanah no sliches on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is the opposite. Yom Kippur is all about confession. We are starting with the Vita even before Yom Kippur, and about slicho that we're saying traditionally in every prayer of Yom Kippur. Everybody says slicho on, on the Kippur night. That's the main service. So it means that unlike the day of Rosh Hashanah, which is a God centered day, and the text of the text of of Rosh Hashanah are, are verses from the Bible. Those are the there are ten verses from the in each of the three sections, and three from the prophets and three from the Torah from the Psalms a tense from the Torah it's a God-centered day and the text is a God-centered text it's the Bible we're using God's words to describe God that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about on Yom Kippur it's very different first of all the core reading of Yom Kippur apart from the but the core reading of Yom Kippur what, what in Yom Kippur is, in the davening is exactly parallel to Malchiot, Tzichronot and Shofarot exactly in the same place is the service of the high priest and the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur, which have there are many versions of it, but the service of the high priest of Yom Kippur, which is ancient, and we can trace back the earliest ones that we know of to maybe the 3rd, 4th century, is that the early ones are simply a restatement, almost word for word, of the Mishnayot in Tractate Yoma. You read the Mishnah. The Avoda is essentially the Mishnah. The Mishnah being the rabbinic construction or reconstruction of the verses in Achrimot that we read on Yom Kippur morning describing the service of the high priest. In other words, what Yom Kippur is about, essentially, from this perspective, is it's not a day in which we focus on God at all. It's a day that we focus on human potential, human possibility. So we are beginning Yom Kippur with with an amazing thing, amazing service, which says at the end of the day, whether or not we are successful on Yom Kippur, God, God is sort of a given on Yom Kippur. God will forgive, but actually we have the power. We have the power to change things. We even have the power to override God's God, God's, God's word. And that's the example of overriding God's word would be Haterat Shvot, which I've either explicitly or implicitly God's name. And the point is, Haterat Dream itself is actually... An overriding of God's word, the Bible seems to suggest you can't do such a thing. HaTaradarim suggests explicitly that you can do it. We have the rights about to get out of something that we imposed upon ourselves uh, in, in, the, in, in the name of God. And the court, which is convening, and if you look at this box, you'll see it right after the court says, "V'nislach bnei Yisrael, agar betocham ki The court says, "V'nislach." Here there's actually a play on the word v'nisrach. First of all, v'nisrach is a verse from the Bible. It's a verse from chapter 15 of the book of of, of Amidbar. It says, and it means v'nisrach, it means it shall be it's it's the passive form. And the sin of the people shall be forgiven. That's v'nisrach. But when you say it, v'nisrach night, when the court says v'nisrach, they're not saying it shall be forgiven. They're saying the plural. We shall forgive. We shall forgive. It's an like active. The court is saying to the people, we are forgiving your sins because we have judged that when it comes to the community, it, it, is, it is bishkaga. In other words, by definition, that's what the court says. If everybody does it, even though it's the wrong thing to do, it is wrong, but we, we don't look at it the same way we look at an individual. It's not. It's, heta, it's of the of the of the of the of the community. There's a communal aspect. We already said hataranidarim, but this is a different hataran. This is the community itself. The entire community is actually can't be bemazed The community has a different status. That's how we start yom kippur. And actually, there's another custom before yom before kol nidre. Before we say kol nidre, we say something else, which is what. Everybody's heard that no doubt. Konnidere is the one let me ask you question. What does that mean? You of shall What does be Yeshiva Shalmala shomata mean? What does it mean, heaven and earth? I'm suspecting that you don't know actually I'm suspicious that you well, it means this it's the court Konidre is in theory a court it's, it's all ceremonial the court is saying that we are allowing everybody to pray together because there are some people who have been who are not allowed to pray with the others people have been Khairam. there's a Khairam. people not everybody's is allowed and normally we have all kinds of there are some people who say they're out of bounds. On Yom Kippur night, the court says, no, no, everybody is welcome. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is part of the community. And the idea of saying that before Kol Nidre is to emphasize a very important point about Kol Nidre. It's not a normal Hataratna Darim. It's a special, it's a communal Hataratna Darim. Maybe subconsciously that's why more Jews go to Kol Nidre than any other ritual we have. Konidre is, when you look at it, the most trivial, it, it has absolutely no meaning whatsoever, actually. It is a ceremonial Hataratiz darib Hatarat darib itself will not be on the top of the list of important things to do during the year. So this is a ceremonial Hatarat, and yet people are crying and waiting. You now, what, what, what are we crying about in Konidre What is the power of Konidre It's not about the conversos, it's about something else, which is related. It's about the idea. This is a court. The idea that actually we are capable of changing things. That's what Konidre is saying. We, forget God, God is a given. We have the power to make a difference, to change our lives. That is, I would say, the core Jewish belief which is reflected in Konidre. You don't need someone else to do it for you. You can do it yourself. And this is a community of people who actually believe this and we support each other in this we believe that the, the, the idea of community is so powerful that it helps us transform not just ourselves but the entire community. And then after we finish, right? And then there's one more verse we call Nidre. Slach no lavona right? You have it, the master. The chazan says, "Forgive this people going to your great mercies." everybody's answer is the verse from again that verse is from the book of, of, of Bamidbar chapter 14 so what is going on over here what, what, what is that about that's the end of Konidri. so what it, there are two verses that are cited in Colnidri in, in one is Numbers chapter 15 And what is Numbers chapter 14? Why are we citing those verses? It's Moshe Rabbeinu's plea. Yeah, it is Moshe Rabbeinu's plea. When? 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 Someone said it back there. The story of the spies, the story of the Maraguim. The story of the when God says to Moshe, I'm going to destroy this people, so Moshe pleads with God. What does Moshe say to God in chapter 14? You know? That's correct exactly he says it's for the attributes of God's mercy but he doesn't actually say all the attributes of God's mercy he changes them Moshe actually changes the Yud Yimamidot see the attributes of God's mercy appear for the first time in the story of the golden calf as I mentioned on Tuesday the story of the golden calf is the story that lies behind Yom Kippur the the, the liturgy has co-opted the story of the gold, that's the core, that's the core story of, of, of Yom Kippur. It's the golden calf, it's the breach with God. And not that God threatens, to destroy, God initially says, I'll destroy them, Moshe pacifies God. And then the issue in, is, what, what is the relationship between God and the Jewish people? Is it, have, have a nice life, go into the land, I'll send my angel, or is God going to dwell amongst us? That's the issue in the golden calf. Not survival is taken care of right away. But the quality of life issue is God living amongst us. Are we living in God's presence? And Moshe, what Moshe is able to do is to get God to allow us to build the tabernacle by giving us a second set of tablets. Without the second set of tablets, you can't build the Mishkan. Because the tablets are the work of God. And they're they're a prerequisite to the Mishkan. You can so therefore, Moshe has to plead with God and Effectively it works when God says to Moses, I will teach you my attributes of mercy. And I will dwell in this temple in this aspect of God's mercies. That's the and we have another word for that little little formula. It's called Srikot. That's what the Srichot service is. It's the reiteration of that formula. What is amazing though, is that in the Bible it appears twice. But actually the Bible appears many times but it appears in the Torah twice it appears in the Torah the first time God threatens us totally, which is the golden calf and it appears in the story of the spies in the 13th and 14th chapters of the book of Bamidbar, where Moses again appeals to God, there however, if you look at it he leaves out three things, first of all forget a met, he gives out that's how he starts Moses talk about audacity actually he actually, we talk about changing God's word, He actually reformulates the Yud Yimam Idot. He, he doesn't start with Rachum V'chanun and Rachum V'chanun are the two core components of the attributes of mercy. Actually, not only in the, in the formula, but even before that, the Chanotia Tasher Rachon Rachum V'chanun So the mercy and, and grace, those are the two key components of the Yud Moshe leaves them out. He also leaves out truth. That's, that's right, he leaves out truth as well. He's because every moment demands a different response. Because the response of the golden calf makes no sense for the spies. Where are you going to say, God, please bring them into the land? They don't want to go. What do you mean, bring them to the land? They told me they don't want to go. What do we bring them So Moshe doesn't pray that way. Moshe is a different prayer. Era the long suffering God. That's a different prayer. But Moses don't destroy them. Don't, don't meet up the punishment right now. Meet it over time. Give us a chance to, to 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 regroup. Give us a chance to to move forward. It's going to take another generation, but give us give us give us time. That's Moses' prayer. So he reformulates. It's it's the ultimate Torah about. Pe. It's the ultimate idea of our of, of, of reinterpreting. Yudim Midot themselves are the initial are the basis of an ultimate reformulation of the Torah. Torah Shabbat Par, which is what Yom Kippur is. Yom Kippur, that tradition, by the way, is the day that Moses gets the second tablets. It's not, it's, 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 it's not in the Torah, but the but the but the rabbinic tradition, for good reason, identifies Yom Kippur with the second tablets. The point is, what are we saying? You're on on Kol night, we start. We start. That? We, we are starting with the attributes of God's mercy, with the reformulation. And the court is saying, the court is saying, listen, we are forgiving the people. We, have, we, we made a judgment over here. And what is God's response? The Kidvarecha has a different meaning in Kol In the Torah it means Moses, okay, I, I'll, I'll do what you want. But Kol night has a different meaning. Means as the court has determined. The court on earth has convened and the heavenly court ascends to what the the earthly court has done. It's awesome. That's the power of komitri. That's why people cry. We should all cry. Because on the other hand, people think konos is an easy way out. It's exactly the opposite. Because if it's possible for us to transform ourselves and we don't do it, that's not very good. If it's impossible, if we are beings who can't change, okay the what, what can we do you know but we're making a different state for Yom Kippur our fate is in our own hands now we modified that a hundred times over Yom Kippur but the core idea before you start is we have the potential to do it we can do it and if we do it God will agree the heavenly court will agree with the earthly court yeshiva shalmala of yeshiva mata. that's what we're saying called the it's awesome no other word for it beyond belief and it's the most Jewish idea that that you can actually transform yourself it's Jacob becoming Israel no one else is going to save you that's what we're saying now at the end of the day of course we are modifying this because we recognize there is a truth and to the idea that we're not always in control of what we do very often we're not in control of what we do and then we'll, we are all in God's hands. That comes through in other places in the service. What's interesting about Yom Kippur, let's leave out Kol Nidre. But apart from Kol Nidre, it is, we have five services on Yom Kippur. We have the nighttime, we have the morning, the morning Shacharit, we have Musaf, we have Mincha, and we have Neilah. What's interesting about Yom Kippur, and this is, I would say, sad to say, almost totally lost of the American Jewish community. That each of these services has its own quality. Shakras is not mincha, And the Kol night, and the, and the of the night, Maariv is not, is not Musaf. They're totally different. Each one has its own feeling. Has a, it, they're totally different things, and you move from one to the next. And the trick is to try to figure out what is this actually about. And we have someone who's trying to help us to do this. Well, for the most part we haven't taken advantage of this whether we say it in the synagogue or not it should be studied and that is the composers of the various slichot for these services we have compositions of slichot for all of the services not just at night not just mincha, for for mincha for musaf and the slichot tried to capture something to help us what is it about what is mincha about actually not just Yom Kippur Yom Kippur is striking but what is the mincha service because if you pray three times a day Shacharit you pray Shacharit, the prayer prayer is identical why pray a second time can you pray a first time so what, what is it about mincha what's special about mincha so I thought it would be a useful thing if it's a great shir or not but it's a useful one just to briefly go through some of the themes of the various five services of Yom Kippur to understand what is actually transpiring over the course of the day and what's interesting is in terms of the Srichot, the way it works is the Srichot are this the constant repetition of this formula, Hashem uh, <laughs> Hashem Kerachum V'chanun Erech HaPayim V'emet, etc. That's this formula called Yud Gimel Midot. How do you get to 13 is a good question. In any event, that's what they're known as Yud Midot. And they are interspersed with poems. Each of the Srichot service, service always has one main poem called the The Pizmon each one has a pismon and that's the main poem of so what is the main poem let's say of of, of Mari this trichot as I mentioned of course on the night of Yom Kippur we have a trichot service after we finish with Shmon Ezra after the Amida there's a trichot service it's introduced by the Ashkenazi with Yara Meherev then you have the repetition of Hashem Hashemi three or four times and this one poem that is a pismon the poems there are various slichot. is a world unto itself. It's world piyut, piyut to a world, and there are various genres of piyut. For example, there is a something called the uh, uh, akedah. In many of the services of Yom Kippur, at least three of them, there's an akedah. Maybe four. There's a piyut written, a slichot written, which focuses on the interpretation of akedah. There's like more a hundred of these things. During the Yisruchot, between now, we also have an Aked every day. So it's capturing something about the... They're all different. They're picking up on something different. So there's a Pismon, there's an Akedah. What is the Pismon, the night of Yom, night of Yom Kippur? What is it? I remember going to shul as a kid. My father loved the Davin, actually. I just loved David. He loved Davin. I was a little kid and pointing out to me that this is important. This is, I remember this, you know? certain things especially Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur he loved Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur too pointing out what's important so he loved the pismon of of Yom Kippur night what is it? of course you're not familiar with the pismon of Yom Kippur night Okay, let's take a look everybody should have a master here there's one main there's one main poem Yom Kippur night they're all good but there's one main one. Kine kachomer. In this, in this box on page thirty thirty nine, it says kine kachomer biyada yotzei. The pismonim. First of all, this one is very simple. The language is not hard. This is a very simple, very simple pismon. It starts very starts with the word kihine. That's how it starts. Kihine. For behold. Kihine. For behold, like khomer biyadayotter is a potter. The Chomer is the material. Right? That the potter molds. This translation is very archaic here. But the, the potter has, is moulding, right? Ka chomer yotzer. The powder can enlarge it, the potter can make it shorter, bigger. biyad kha chesed no that's how we start on your that's how we start the pismon and it, it repeats there's a tagline Walk mm-hmm. towards the covenant the idea is in this pismon very powerful we are in your hands even though we spoke earlier about konidre we have the power to transform and all that that was true an hour ago it's all true Now we have a different truth. The different truth is we are not in control of anything. We are all in God's hands. And we are looking to God to help us. It's not over here the same as Mincha. Mincha is different. Mincha Yom Kippur. Mincha is the forgotten prayer of Yom Kippur. It's a powerful prayer, Mincha. But Mincha is a different idea. This is Mincha. The idea of Mincha, maybe we'll get a chance to see it. Mincha is about, I would say, katnu Adam the Kabbalists say the smallness of the person that's what Mincha is about Mincha is about the people who are limited in so many ways sinful sinful beings we have no real understanding Uh, temporary beings the smallness of the person we stand before God and we recognize our own limitations and our own failures that's what mincha is about that's not kalnidrei night it's not about failure it's not really about that it's a very different feeling kalnidrei night it's about being in God's hands there's something different about it there's a different feel to it there's something very pure about kalnidrei night it's not it's not mincha mincha is Tummah. That's the minch tumma. Minch is the smallness. The interesting thing is, in, by the way, I mentioned on Tuesday that you know were written. Slichot are in, in, in integral part of the service, every service of Yom Kippur. So if you go to a traditional synagogue where they actually have a traditional service, it's clear that it's obvious that slichot are really the center of the of the service. Is the saying of the slichot. They've been removed from Mincha, from Shacharid, and from Musaf. We don't have them. I mean, the Yekis say it, of course, but the point is the, the Sardim say it. But the other synagogues have eliminated 99% of it. And uh, it's a problem because you don't actually... If, and and so so how did this happen? So I mentioned that one of the theories how this happened is the following. I got a phone call from someone who, who said that he... To actually to support what I said, said it wasn't my idea but what happened was that in certain communities they didn't say the same slichot every single every single they, they changed every year so someone called me up just yesterday that in Breuers which is the uh, German Jews they say different slichot every single year they rotate them they don't say the same ones which would confirm it so once that happened the printers couldn't couldn't write the slichot in because it's not the same so they wrote kan om rim at this point you say slichot that was the death knell for the slichot because once you're not put in the book you can forget about it no one's going to here you say slichot so it soon disappears I mean the German Jews say slichot of course but the point is most of the Jewish community who have a traditional service they stop saying the slichot that's how that happened. someone said that actually employs till this day they are rotating the slichot every single year it's, it's interesting and it, it, it's, I'm sure that's one of the reasons anyway that the Srikot have disappeared. So the Srikot, the Pismon, it's very interesting. So there are many different ones. I'm saying this is what everybody says. Every Ashkenaz Jew says slichot Yom Kippur Knight, says kihine kachome. The idea that we are in your hands. We are not in control. You know what I mean? We think we're in control, but we're not in control. Which actually contradicts the first thing I said, which is fine. It does contradict it. But actually, it's a very interesting question in terms of one's outlook on life. You know, it's interesting for those familiar with the with the with the twelve steps, the you know the uh, twelve steps and the the drugs, the the these you know, substance abuse. What's very interesting is that there's a big focus on on, I'm not in control. That's how big I'm not in control. Now, there's a fellow out in Los Angeles named Rabbi. uh, I forget his first name, Borowitz he has a place out west the first year we ran the June program for our 60 so college students we flew him in from Los Angeles I wanted people to hear this guy speak very interesting guy his story is amazing of course but he runs this drug rehab out in in LA and I wanted to hear what his thinking is you don't have to agree with it you can disagree with it but he's thinking and uh, he has 10 steps he has his own 10 steps not 12 steps but ten steps. And what's interesting is not just that it's ten, not twelve. What's interesting is he's trying to work with the twelve steps but to make it much more Jewish. So it's not Jewish. It it feels Christian to me, actually. It's really not Jewish. And the point is that there's much less there. If you read it carefully, you could do a study of the text of his ten steps, that it's much much less about I have no control. It's not much about... Because I have no control at all Strikes me as something which is antithetical to a lot of the core teachings of pieces of our of our of our tradition. I'm not saying that I have no control is, is antithetical to Judaism because there's many forms of Judaism and there are many different texts. But what you have over here is, uh, I think, a, a piyot which is emphasizing very much, kena, kena We are in your hands. so look at the covenant and not to our inclinations because we understand that we we will fail we're not not in control we do things even though we don't want to do them it's a paradox how can we do things we don't want to do if we do we didn't want to do it but no against our inner will one might say so that's the theme of that's very reflective of the the, I would say the, the, the the mood the mood of the night of Yom Kippur there's a great serenity we are very much at peace with ourselves on on Konidre night in the sense we've done we've we've done what what we can do we're we're turning it over to God to remember the covenant and here I wanted to mention something that I said a few years ago about this particular poem the poem actually if you look at the language of it it's very strange what what does it mean what does Kihine mean? what does ne? mean? He I would say. What's key? So actually, it, logically and, and, and linguistically, we should have, the word key makes no sense. For key seems to be to something earlier. What, 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 what is it? What's referring to? So if you look at the stulichot for for Kol Nidre night, you see that the Yashkenasim have first We say Yalatach I spoke about that already. Then we have two other piyutim before we get to Hine Kachomer. The first first piyut begins with the word Slachna. And we'll kind of, here's page 30, slightly alphabetical. Slachna ashamotu fish e lu Right? Ravon bonecha, Slachna, and in each of the lines begins either Slachna, forgive us please, and the second one is Lavon. Right? So that of course refers in the Torah right to the verse that we said in Kol Nidre it was Moses' prayer to God after the incident of the spies in the 14th chapter of Bamidbar right and what was God's answer to Moses in, in the chapter 14 of Bamidbar Vayom Salachti right so what's the, the next piyut? which starts omnam Nam here page 38 what, what is what is the tagline So the first two poems actually are playing off the verse that we recited called Nidre But what is the third poem? It's So I believe what it is is a reference not to the story in Moses with the spies in Numbers but it takes us back to the first story of the golden calf the story of the golden calf, Moses is pleading with God to dwell amongst us, to restore the covenant. Moses broke the tablets, right? Tablets are the Luchot the tablets of the covenant. So we have to repair the covenant. So Moses says to God, Please dwell amongst us, right? That's after the, right? Please, God, dwell amongst us. That's his prayer. Why? For they are a stiff necked people. That's what Moses said. Could For can mean two. For has a. He has two possible meanings. If you look at the translations, it's always good to look at of that verse. You should look at the story of the golden calf before Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is largely coming out of the story of the golden calf. He could mean despite the fact that. That's also, Despite the fact. Please dwell in our midst. He, I'm sheor Yes, I know they're stiff necked. I'm Cheorif. They are stiff necked but nonetheless dwell amongst us or it could mean the opposite which is because in other words because we are because we require forgiveness that's why you should dwell amongst us yes you said oh, you can't dwell amongst us because you get angry and destroy us that was a different God that was a God of truth that was I'm talking about the God of mercies God of mercies has to dwell you have to limit yourself right what did God answer Behold, I make a covenant. Which means I restore my covenant, but which midrashically means, what does the Gemara say? There's a covenant on the 13 attributes. Behold, I make a covenant, says the Talmud. It means whenever you say this formula, say when you're in trouble, this is the formula to recite. But the simple meaning is, behold, I, I I'll give, give you the Torah a second time. So Moses' prayer was, and God's answer was he the python put the two together and here I will add something else that my colleague Wendy Amslam once said to me which I like I'm not sure it's right actually I'm not sure about that but it's very clever the idea is certainly good what was God's problem with, 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 with forgiving the people well, what was God's main claim we can't be together why not because the people are they're stiff necked Right? They are unbending. And what is the piet of Yom Kippur night? It's exactly the opposite. It's that we're not unbending. We are, here we are. Do with us whatever you will. It reminds me very much of John Donne's love poems. The same sense, you know? I'm in your hands. I'm in your hands. Do to me what you will. I'm in your hands. That is, and remember the covenant. Remember the promise of the Hashem HaShem K'Rakum V'Khanum. That the kinehah create bridge for the liturgy is referring to the covenant that God makes with us. That if, even though the deepest trouble, we could always always call off these yudgibom midot. So the the, the three piyutim of Kol night. The first two play off the verse in Numbers chapter fourteen, which is the revision Moses' revision of the yudgibom midot, and then the pismon kihinehachomer is something different that is the story of the golden calf. Ki-hi-nei ka-chomer. 4 reminding God of, Ki-am-shei-orifu, we listen, we, we recognize our, our limitations. And now we come to you on Konidri night, we say, Yom Kippur night, we say, you know, Ki-hi-nei we ka-chomer bi We're not the am shei We we are in your hands. Kenanatu na bi It's a very good you know this. When I was a kid growing up, it's funny, so there's, well, often recited, sometimes it's sung there's an old Hasidic tune so I'm in a car in Israel and my wife has this uh, interesting someone did a study of, uh, kind of a kind of a, uh, 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 anth- and, anth- anthropological study of some Hasidic groups so this fellow went to weddings and all kinds of other things and so it's, it's, there's nobody there's nobody's just coming out of the you know the way they're singing. Actually what they sing, how they sing very interesting. And there's the uh, Kine Kachomer is one of the on um, this and what's well, interesting, so I googled it, you can go it. And this tune in the last five or ten years is a very big thing in Israel. Chava Abu is singing it, they're all singing this tune, which I remember as a kid, which is a Hasidic tune for Kine. Anyway, maybe at the end we can sing Kine Kachomer. But the point is the the mood of the night is different. There's a mood I would say of don't have this any other time deep serenity we're, we're very much at peace on Pornidre night that's the feeling there's something very pure about it and because you're in God's hands there's no worries because if you're in God's hands you have no worries what's they worry about I'm in your hands that's it I'm pure I'm totally in your hands that's good well, that's what happens next morning we get up in the morning what is the theme of shakrit of Yom Kippur what is shakrit about so many things but you look at the slichos the slichos help you what is the Ashkenazic Pismon of course probably nobody here says it few people say it but by the way the, 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 Ashken, the Pismonim for Yom Kippur are often the Pismonim for the custom to say Srichov starting before Rosh Hashanah and through Aseretim et so the Pismonim are also recited in other words I suspect they were written for Yom Kippur actually <coughs> I, I suspect I'm not sure and that we chose the highlights of Yom Kippur or maybe written for both but written for Yom Kippur certainly and we choose them during the Selichot before Yom Kippur we also choose them to say So this is one of the Pizmonim that's recited during a Sered and it's the Pizmon for Yom Kippur what is it? I mean how would you know? you don't say it let's see if it's here in this box no, this is one verse there are many of them this is Adler so Adler let's see if we can find this they're always after Yalav Yavu. That's where you have these Slichot. After Yalav Yavu, where are you here? Let's see. It's very long. Yeah, so here it's... Let's see. The Pismon is found on page... In the Adler, it's page 86 of the morning service. This is one of the most confusing books I've ever seen in my life, by the way. And page 86 of the morning. is pages at night, and pages in the morning. Don't it? But anyway... Top of page 86 in the Masor. Shofet Kol Aretz, Yotabim Mishpat Yamid, Nochayim Vachesed Alamonit Tatzmid, Etfilat Hashachar Bimkom Olam Tamid, Kiolat Haboker Asher Weolat Tatzmid. Then it goes on. There are different. There's different versions of this poem itself. There's a line missing. This and that. what what, what is the core idea in this poem what is happening in the morning judgment the day of Yom Kippur is a day of judgment as I mentioned earlier anybody who thinks otherwise doesn't understand the liturgy of Yom Kippur Yom Kippur is a Yom Adin but it's a different kind of judgment the day of Rosh Hashanah is a strict judgment I mean strict, strict judgment we can't survive so, but but the point is Rosh Hashanah is a different kind of Din the Kabbalists distinguish even the first two days of Rosh Hashanah they call the first day strict judgment and the second weak judgment but Yom Kippur is different the Ramban Torah talks about this it's Rachamim bedin. in other words basically it's a judge. And the, all these God, the judge is wearing the robes of the judge. Daka is righteousness, but the judge has his own calculations over here. yes, the judgment, but the judge who leans towards kindnesses. It's playing off many midrashim. God, the way God God's counting up of the sins is different, different kind of count. He's counted, he discards it. Yes din is always well if it's not a company, we have trouble we can't survive the actual din but there's different shadings the Ramban in our Torah actually in discussing this says that Rosh Hashanah is fundamentally a day of din with some, with some mercies and Yom Kippur is different Yom Kippur is basically a day of mercies in the context of judgment but the point is in the morning morning in general Volker is generally speaking identified with, with judgment it's also identified in the liturgy with something else which is it's the time when you bring that first sacrifice so it has a sense of the day does start in the morning basically I mean our day starts in the morning yes I know it starts at midnight that's technically but when we talk about our, the, tomorrow we mean the morning we don't mean midnight so the day the working day the day that we experience, it starts in the morning. So the idea of getting up in the morning and coming to pray and encountering the first thing in the morning, and God is judging, but the judgment is different. And the tagline is, it's uh, that our prayers should always be acceptable before God a prayer should always be acceptable just like this was a daily sacrifice a daily connection so we speak of a daily connection ongoing connection and that allows the judge to judge differently that expression is taken from the Torah that's what Abraham said to God it's interesting that in the service at one point it's amazing the vices these people take we say, kahar lo yaseh mishpat. This, this, the python says, the judge of the earth should not do justice. <laughs> That's, it's twisted around, of course. But here, it's beginning with Shofekar. So the, the morning is a different sense to it. It's, it's, a, it's also a new start, but it's different. It's, start, it's starting, in other words, the Nidre service, that you don't get a sense, yes, it's the beginning of Yom Kippur for us, but it's not. It doesn't feel like it's part and parcel of the normal because the Slichot service typically is actually coming before the, before the morning. Kol Nidra night was saying Slichot very early at night. It's unusual. Usually the Slichot are recited very late, very early, early in the morning, before dawn. So here it's about Olata Bokhya, shall we? Olata Tamid is adding an additional aspect to the day. The, the day of Yom Kippur is, the, is, is when you have the service of Yom Kippur. The Avodah is in the day and now we're moving to a different conception of day which is a day of a day of temple service a day of sacrificial service a day of prayer service and we are beginning the day the shaharit is intimately bound up with the rest of the day the night is different the night is it's, Yom Kippur night feels like a standalone. the shaharit is coming to say we're beginning this very complicated day with all its ups and downs and various mood shifts and swings etc a lot of, okay, shall a lot of now let me get to the musaf because we're running out of time what is the musaf? Yes. yes go ahead the what the the bottom line yeah i thought you knew it yeah I know um, some go ahead yes okay. i'm trying to put it into context so the whole this whole thing is about governing our behavior and how god is going to help us do it and so we have him here for he forgives us he Judges us make the pinnacle from what I get from last time and this time. The pinnacle of perfect behavior would be perfect truth. Yes, Why, like the, why did Moses leave out truth when he talked to God this time? That is a good question. Now, let me let be say the following. First of all, maybe the pinnacle of perfect whether the pinnacle of perfect behavior is pure truth without. I'm not convinced of that I don't think you can live. I don't think we can live in this world with pure truth. I think all relationships are a function of, of, of kindnesses and not just truth. That's, that's an interesting question. But let me I'll ask, since you asked me a question, I'll ask you a question. I'm not going to answer either of them. But I'll, he's not the only one to leave out truth. Somebody else left out truth on Yom Kippur too. Who was that? Who was it? Jonah. At the end of Yom Kippur, we read the Bachtu Yonah and God forgives the city of Nineveh and God said Yonah was very upset what are you angry about I knew this would happen there you go again you know it's, uh, I know what kind of God you are we who, are who, who, who repents of the evil in the Chumash it's instead of the substitutes took out a met and he put in which is a critique of his. that there's no truth this is not right because it's not truthful because it's wrong because it's so the truth disappeared, but Yonah took it out because he didn't, he was mad that God wasn't truthful. And Moses seems to have taken it out because he doesn't want God to be wholly truthful. Now, I have a different approach to the, your question about taking Moses taking out the emet, but I can't get into it now. would take way too much time. I don't think Emmet means truth. In its initial formulation, I don't think Emmet means truth. Rav Chesed Ve'emet, I don't believe means. and abiding abiding in great kindnesses and truth I don't think it means that I think emet is a qualifier of chesed as we have many times in the book of Genesis it's much more along the lines of chesed she'emet it's a qualifier of of the chesed it's a truthful chesed and the truthful chesed means not just to do chesed for me but to do said in a, in, a, in, a, in a broader context, maybe my parents, maybe the future. So I think that's what that's about. True that when Moses re- re- removes Amat, he might be reinterpreting Amat as well. That's possible. Jonas certainly was. That's a different conversation. Now, can we get to the Musaf? Each of these piyut suichot are playing off something about the very. What is the suicha for Musaf? So the suicha for Musaf, what is it? it's not a serichah it's not a Srikha, it's not a serichah service it's not a serichah also it's not a Srikha. the, the pizmon the main it's the main pizmon I talked about the, the, where it appears but the main pizmon in Muslim is very interesting the Ashkenazim here yeah, he says with which is on page 169 and the pizmon is found on page 175. I'm not getting know the details of it. It's a very interesting slicha. It doesn't matter if you say it or not, but you should know it. You know what I mean? It's very important, because it says something about Musaf. Im Anachnu. Im Anachnu. If we continue, we are continuing to stand before God, despite the fact, it's very important, that we have no temple. And what this slicha is about is the various ways that other things are replacing sacrificial service. Other things replace sacrificial service. Our prayers. Kapayim Right? Confession. Fasting. Haser chatato Right? Blessing God. Uh... Whatever, there, 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 there's a range of things over here. Faith. Right? We have no temple. So, and yet we stand before God. But the tagline is, The idea is that the psalm from Shlomo's prayer, that God continues to, to uh, do Israel's will, right? Or to, 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 to do kindnesses to, to Israel, to his people. Every single day. Every single day, but we have no temple. So it must be something in place of the temple. And the reason this appears in Musaf is because Musaf is different from all our other prayers. All the other prayers, in some sense, yes, the prayer is replacing the sacrifice. But it's not actually that actually replaces the sacrifice. It's connected to sacrifice. The only time we actually speak of the real sacrificial service of the temple. That's so why some 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 it's why the reformed Jews didn't want to say Musaf, because they understood that Musaf is different. And that Musaf is <coughs> Prayer as a replacement. That's Musaf. So in this very prayer of Musaf, that's why, for example, in Musaf of Yom Kippur we are reenacting the service of the high priest, only in Musaf, because it's a sacrificial service of sorts. That's why the Ashkenazi custom to put the to to the priestly blessing is only in Musaf because the musaf is a sacrificial service it's a temple service so but here but we have no temple the whole thing is a temple we have no temple so what? and the answer is but we have replacements for it we can do other things in lieu of the temple charity we can fast we can pray all kinds of things we can do so that's the sikh so the sikh is pointing us uh, towards its towards ourselves what can we do in this situation you find yourself in a bad place. So the question is, okay, but reminds me of this past year. You always think about the past year on Yom Kippur. You know, I do. It was a rabbi. I was in Tzikul, a good part of the place. I mean, not all, my, my, my wife was in Tekoa. I've been to Kawa a lot. The rabbi of course is Menachem Fuman. if you read a bit about him or not? Extremely interesting man. That's the one who met with Hamas, met with Arafat, of course, wearing his tefilin aviyah. A, I knew him very well. He sat next to me in Shul there. Was around. I knew him well and his family. And uh, someone told the story. I wasn't at the like, some of the kids were at the funeral there were thousands of people there. It's an someone told the story about him that he was this guy broke all this guy was living in a different planet by the way he wasn't living in our, our world. So he was walking into he was giving a shir in the yeshiva or something and this guy says he walked into the yeshiva with a, his with a, with a shirt he said if there are no Arabs there, are no, there there is no terror so Fruman stops the Shia he says, welcome to my Shia says, I see what's written on your shirt it's very true except for one thing there actually are Arabs <laughs> this point is very simple he was not one of these guys who the world is wonderful that wasn't him not at all his point was you live in this world even though he didn't live in this world but it's this that he lived and you've got to deal with the realities and the reality is we have neighbors we got to deal with them we can't avoid them we can't ignore them because it's real you know and you deal with the reality that exists now that was his approach and that is what Musab about actually that's, this, that's what Musab is saying okay we have no temple we have no access that means you have no access that's what it's about you enter into the world of prayer you enter into the mythical world of prayer we are praying for that temple I don't, personally I don't care for temples I don't want it, it doesn't matter on Musaf of Yom Kippur you're praying for that temple you enter into the mythical world and that's our point of access that's the point that's what Shomel said in his prayers you pray via the temple but we have no temple that's our reality our reality is you walk in the street where is God that's the reality okay and now the question that Musaf is in this reality how can we find God in this world how can we, how can we pray how can we continue to connect to the sacred when the sacred doesn't seem to be with us? So that's what Yom Kippur is saying, that our responsibility is to think about how we can make these connections. It's very much our responsibility. We don't give up. We continue. Right? That's Musa. Now what is Mincha? What is the period for Mincha? I, I the, 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 the pismon for mincha what is the slicha for mincha this is one example there are many but this captures it very nicely and the, the, the what, and actually in our minion we say different pismons. awesome but this is also very interesting here in the Adler let's see where he has it Adler has on page slicha for mincha he has on page where are you at let's see yes yeah here it is it's on 200 and 222 sounds right. Two twenty-two. No, that's not the yeah, two twenty-two. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, That is a slicha, but that's not the pismon. No, the pismon is on two hundred twenty-two hundred twenty-six. It's hard to see it. That's how it starts. It's impossible to know from Adira, but but it is that way. This is the pismon from Mincha. It's very interesting. The language is impossibly difficult, by the way, impossibly difficult. But and his translation isn't very good either. What is the tagline? Two hundred twenty-six. The tagline for this particular piece, Pismon for Mincha, for the Ashkenazim, is. God, you are the God of, of righteousness. And with us is the shame. And we have done very bad things. But we have a, we have a, a saying. We approach you with the saying. Now where is that coming from? No alnu no If a playing off a of biblical verse the biblical verses which appears many times in the davening of Yom Kippur by the way please pay no heed to our sin that we have strayed and we have sinned who said that? it appears in Yom Kippur davening many many times depends where you pray but if you say traditional service the Yekis probably say it a hundred times I don't know the python changed the words around No, pay us no attention who said that don't pay attention to our sins a very modest person said this who was it well, Moses is very modest the other guy is also modest his brother it's the story of Miriam becoming leprous Aaron approaches Moshe be up please my lord pay no attention if we have strayed and we have sinned let it not be like one who has died who was born right and half half the body has been eaten away what does Moses say he doesn't answer Aaron directly he doesn't say a word to Aaron Moses cried out to God it's the shortest prayer we have five, little, five two letter words El na rafanallah. Oh, please, God, please heal her. And God does. God responds. But what's interesting is, if you look at the poem, it's a very powerful poem, and it, it picks up mincha perfectly well. Al na tashayd Pay us no attention. In other words, it's someone, someone who sees himself, herself as an insignificant person. It's the, it's the smallness of the person. It's the recognition of one's limitations. That's what comes. not Yes, of course. If you read through it, it's not so popular. We have to talk about human possibility, you know, and, the, and our the human success and human power, How and Selim Elohim and all that. That's great. But that's not what Mincha is about. It's not Mincha. Mincha is about something very different, which is about, it's a kind of truth. It's a recognition of all the limitations and how we actually don't, can't receive right. We, we, we don't we, our lack of understanding, our lack of insight and our smallness. It's a prayer that's associated actually in our tradition with our patriarch Isaac. I would just my wife is this year has been up in uh, working as a volunteer in a therapeutic farm. So I was up there. Uh, I was up there a few days ago, just before nightfall. And yeah, the sun was about to set. And she said, just, do you hear? The amount of noise, by the way, it was so you hear it, the chirping, the crickets, it's, it's unbelievable. The, the noise is beyond belief. Because, not Something to, he sees himself as one of God's beings. The, the crickets, the, the birds, the, the noise, if you listen, you pay attention, there's so much... And he went out to the field. And Isaac is in that tradition. He's not a, he's not a great innovator. He doesn't innovate anything. He does what his father did. He digs the same wells his father dug. In most cultures, that is what is venerated. Not the chiddush. What's venerated is the one who continues the tradition. The one who does what his parents did. And he sees himself, Yisrael does, as needing to pray a second time. He comes before the night. He's prayed once. The morning prayer says that Talmud is Abraham's prayer. So why pray again? Prayed once, because it's insufficient Because I'm still missing something. He's not one who goes out to the world to change the world. That's not Isaac. He spends his life trying to change himself, trying to improve himself. It's about working on oneself, and that's what mincha is actually about. And it becomes it begins from a place of recognition of all the limitations, and the failures, and the impurities. That's what Mincha is about. Something about it on Yom Kippur, it's the, it's, the, it's the overall prayer of Yom Kippur. It's something so powerful about Mincha. And it's so true, really. No'anu chatanu no'anu al-tashet. Of course, we're asking God to pay attention to us. Otherwise, why would we pray? If, if you think God doesn't pay attention, you wouldn't pray. We want God, but no'anu <laughs> chatanu, pay no attention to that part of us, which is a very important part of us. We're not, we're not on that level, you know what I mean? We have undertaken, taken into consideration our very smallness. That's the prayer of Mincha. That's the prayer of Isaac. Our, the incompleteness of the human being. That's Mincha Yom Kippur. So we have the night of Kol Nidre, and we have the morning, and we have Musuf, and we have Mincha, and then of course we come to Ne'ilah, which is very interesting. Ne'ilah is something very different, and time does not allow us to say. I'll say one thing about Ne'ilah, though. Which is an important point. In the the doors are closing. That's the point. We want God to open the door. The doors are closing. There is a sense in the Ewa which we don't have the rest of the year, which is that of desperation. Our problem is not, that we, there's no sense of desperation. There are things in, in, Manana, you know, it's going to be okay, if it's fine, whatever it's good. And suddenly in the Ewa, we've prayed all day. But it doesn't matter because you realize after all the prayers we're still on the outside. The doors are closing with one last opportunity which, which we are being granted. This last chance. And then we are praying in the ila. And Interesting about the ilah is that in the Ashkenazic rite the prayers of the ilah are almost completely there's almost nothing except the constant repetition of the 13 attributes which we do 13 times. And it's very simple. The prayers of the are Simple. Let me say one last thing about the iwah Just to me take two minutes about the Ewa. Well, I think it's a, one of the things it's about. Which is this. On Yom Kippur, we are saying confessions. We even start with the confessions before Yom Kippur. As I mentioned. Start the Mincha. And there's the long confession and the short confessions, the spider other, other confessions. All kinds of confessions. Achet. Until you come, until you come to the In the ewa there is no law confession. There's no law confession. There is a Shamdu, but that's different, actually. It's just a confession, but it's different. There's no al in the Iwah. And instead of Al-Khayt, there is something else, which the Talmud calls the confession. The confession of the Iwa is is the following. It's found in this boxer. Let's see where it is. Page. Uh, Page 265, in the very end of the book, there are two paragraphs on page 265, which are very central to Ni'iwa, to the extent that part of them was taken out of Ni'iwa and then used in the daily put into the daily prayer book. There are two paragraphs, just, just very briefly, 60 seconds to say one thing about it, which is this. The first paragraph starts with Atanot Yadu Yadavaposhim. You extend your hands to the sinners. That's how it starts. You have taught us to confess, in order that we stop the, the theft of our hands, and you accept our our repentance as as the, as the as the burnt offerings. There's no end to our obligations, but you know our ends, and you have allowed us to, you have increased our your your forgiveness of us. What are we? What do we know? What is our what are our kindnesses? Our justice? What is that strange? what have we to say we have no insight we have no knowledge there's no difference the human being and the animal there's no difference between them for all is vanity that's the first paragraph second paragraph is you have set the human being aside from the beginning and recognize that the human can stand before you that's how it starts so what is this this is the of New this is the great confession but what is the confession here It's not really very much about sin. The one thing that is mentioned is theft, actually. Oshek. But what kind of confession is this? And the confession is not so much about specific sins. The confession is a deep reflection upon what it means to be a human being. Both the, the limitations of it, from one standpoint, but then also the possibilities. You have set the human being aside to stand before God stand, not to sit before That's not, not to grovel, not to, not to bow, but to stand. Amida. It means to stand almost as it was an equal, talking face to face. We recognize the first part. Anotano te'nyadu ha'poshim. It's an attempt, really, at the end of Yom Kippur, to get a handle on what it, who, is, who, who are we? What are, who are we? What are our opportunities? what are given the fact that we are A, B, and C and yet once we having recognized that we still can stand before God it's incredible we can't even explain it it's an act, maybe an act of grace because what what do we bring to the table vim nonetheless you gave us this day of Yom Kippur with great love uh, to allow us to terminate the bad things and to return with a full heart and then we continue and we conclude the prayer. So the, the vidui of Nahil is a different vidui. It's not about specific sins. It's really about a reflection at the very end of the day about our possibilities. Like several years ago, at the end of Yom Kippur, I said a few words. Then I added one thing. The most important day in the calendar is not Yom Kippur. It's the day after Yom Kippur. That's, that's when the hard work begins. Anyway, Gemar <laughs>